Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I am your host, Misha Globerman. Trampoline Hall, as you know, is a lecture series that takes place in a bar. Uh, that bar is usually in Toronto, but sometimes we go to other cities. Uh, people give lectures on all kinds of topics with the one restriction being that they cannot speak on topics on which they are professionally expert. It cannot be their job to know the thing. Uh, after each lecture, we take questions from the audience. Uh, this, of course, is the Trampoline Hall podcast. Uh, you're not in a bar, or if you are, you just you happen to be in a bar. But the podcast uh, happens in your podcasting machine. What happens in the podcast is in every episode, we go through our archives and we find one lecture and we take that lecture and we broadcast it to you with a lecture and with the Q&A. Um, the podcast is divided up into little mini seasons and we are right now at the start of a new season. So you have six individual podcast episodes with lectures uh, coming up. Uh, the season's episodes were chosen by Kate Bars. She went through the archives and chose six uh, just for you. By the way, if you like the podcast and you're in Toronto, uh, you should come see the live show. It's really great. Uh, go online, join the email list, and you can come see the show live. But now, now is not the time for that. Now is the time for this. Oh, let me tell you now, this podcast might contain mature language. Uh, might it? Yes, it might. Uh, but here is today's uh, lecture. The topic is tinned sardines, and the lecturer is Ken Babstock. Doesn't matter. Okay. Hello. Um, uh, my lecture is on tinned sardines. Uh, and the lecture will divide itself into a sardine uh, tinning history of uh, sociology of both tinned sardines, tinning and sardines. So, sort of a, a little semiotics uh, section of 30 seconds or less, and then uh, and then we'll get into the bigger ideas. <coughs> okay. So uh, sardines. Uh, why am I talking about them? I, I don't know. I've loved the little headless fishes for a long time, um, but didn't know much about them. I just know I like them. Um, so I went out and tried to find a little bit about them. So um, biology first, uh, sardines. And I, I immediately thought, well, they must have something to do with Sardinia, um, the people of and the fish. But uh, apparently only very indirectly. The, the uh, etymology of sardine, sarda, uh, mean, just meaning a kind of fish. And, uh, and Sardinians, or Sardinia, Sardo, from the ancient Greek, um, people of the sea. Uh, so they're indirectly related, but, um, but they don't come from the same root at all. So back to sardine, sarda, a kind of fish. This is the other thing I didn't know. I wasn't sure what a sardine was. Do you have to go and um, uh, fish for sardines and throw back the herring and the pilchard and the sprats? And the, apparently they're all sardines. 
a sardine is just um, a catch-all phrase for pilchards, uh, juvenile herrings, sprats, brizzling. Um, uh, but we're going to deal most, mostly right now with, with uh, the Atlantic juvenile herring, um, a Latin name Clupea herringus, from the family Clupeidae. So uh, sardine, I guess the family is Clupeidae, and that covers all those fish that I uh, told you about. Um, uh, ID, uh, um, you can ID them. They're, they're, uh, they're very much thicker than they are fat, or deep, deeper in the chest than they are fat. Uh, which probably accounts for how they get packaged. They lie nicely together. Um, and, the, uh, and they have a deep steely blue back, or sometimes greenish blue, and silvery sides, silvery belly, um, uh, mildly pointed snout, deeply uh, fissured tail. Um, and the other things aren't important. Predators, all those big fish that look like predators, everything from whales, sharks, tuna, Barracuda, um, dolphins, porpoises, they all eat sardines. And they do this by uh, circling sardines, which travel in massive, massive schools. They circle them, and the sardines start swimming in circles. So they effectively, I saw this on TV, um, effectively become one big meatball. And then <laughs> the sharks just, at will, swim into this meatball and take a big bite. <coughs> um, and uh, the prey of the sardines, uh, Sardine are all um, plankton-eating fish. They, they all eat phytoplankton. Uh, and interesting point, I just, uh, this, they've just found this out. Uh, they, they all eat a kind of phytoplankton. Um, this isn't happening in North America, more so on the uh, west coast of Africa and further south than that. The sardine populations have been depleted uh, to the point where this phytoplankton aren't being eaten and processed biologically by sardine populations. So the phytoplankton are dying and, where, and then sinking to the bottom of the ocean, uh, massive amounts of this phytoplankton sinking to the bottom of the ocean, where, they, where the phytoplankton then decompose. And as they decompose, they let off methane gas. So um, a massive methane gas bubble is created on the floor of the ocean. Uh, it gets to a kind of a critical mass, and it releases from the bottom of the ocean, starts rising. And uh, during its ascent, it um, explodes. And uh, I'm acting like Michael Winter. Um, it explodes and uh, releases a massive sort of methane gas bomb. And uh, every living thing in the um, uh, circumference of this methane gas bubble dies. Uh, so there are actual uh, dead spots in the ocean now from uh, methane gas. And apparently, the ocean is now creating more methane gas than all of the cattle on the Earth combined. So um, the sea, silent but deadly. <laughs> um, this, the sea is, in effect, uh, farting um, at an amazing rate and killing its own content, its own inhabitants, uh, and, and adding to the problem with the ozone layer. Um, sea farts. So that, that's biology. Uh, we'll move on to uh, the history of canning. Um, this is the boring part of the lecture. Um, uh, food preservation. Why? When? Uh, Napoleon. Whenever someone asks why and when, the answer is Napoleon. Uh, during the Moscow campaign, the Russian campaign, when the Grand, Grand, Grand Armée were dying in uh, great numbers, um, uh, Napoleon sent word back to Paris uh, offering 12,000 francs for anyone coming up with a uh, method of preserving food. 
um, because they were, uh, the army was starving to death. Uh, a man named Nicolas Appert, um, who was a, a candy maker and a brewer and a baker, uh, set his mind to this task. And um, it only took him 14 years. And he came up with the concept, the basic concept of putting food inside glass containers, uh, making them, sealing them airtight, and then applying heat. Uh, and he figured this would preserve food. Turns out it did. Um, and then a man named Peter Durand in England improved on this by doing away with the brittle glass container and switching to tin. And then uh, two men, Brian Dorkin and John Hall, <coughs> opened the first uh, canning plant in England. Uh, in uh, 18, I can't read my notes, 1813, I think. And so then industrialization happened and things crawled forward and then uh, tin, uh, canning uh, um, became a kind of a, a bugbear of, of the Norwegians. Um, they, they had a massive sardine, pod, massive uh, uh, fishing industry going on and they were uh, tinning sardines um, at an incredible rate but they were still this bottleneck at the sealing the tin point of it. So they, had, they were putting sardines in tins, they're making tins, putting sardines in tins, uh, getting them to the point at which they need to be sealed airtight, uh, in an airtight fashion. And uh, the, these, solder, these men with soldering irons, who were known as uh, knights of the soldering iron, um, <laughs> could, uh, could seal and seam 600 tins in a 10 hour day. <clears throat> and that was sort of still creating a bottleneck. I mean, that was a progression, but it was still creating a huge bottleneck behind them. Uh, two men at the turn of the 20th century, Soren Upsal and Heinrich Reinhardt, uh, patented two different seaming and sealing machines that could uh, seal and seam 7,000 cans in a day. Uh, and just to give you an idea of overfishing and what 100 years can do, uh, today um, most canning plants use something called the Viking 465. And that machine can seal 15,000 tins in an hour. <coughs> OK, I think that's the history of tinning uh, done with. Um, reading sardines. Uh, sardines, sociologically. Uh, well, maybe this is, has something to do with why I love them. Um, I'm going to give away part of my own uh, inclinations here. But, but whenever you spot sardines, whether it's in literature or media, on TV, in a song, um, they, they always kind of denote, uh, or connote, I always get those two words mixed up. Um, they kind of connote a, a kind of commonness, a kind of low-end foodstuffs, you know, a lower class kind of, um, if the cat on Saturday morning cartoons digging through the garbage and pulling out um, stripped uh, fish bones and, and turning his nose up at them, deciding to go and chase the bird, it's because he couldn't be bothered with more sardines. Um, more examples of this. Uh, um, sardines popped up in uh, these stanzas by uh, Philip Larkin in a famous poem called Toads. <coughs> Lots of people live on their wits. Lecturers, lispers, lozels, loblolly men, louts. They don't end as paupers. Lots of folks live up lanes with fires in a bucket, eat windfalls and tin sardines. They seem to like it. Their nippers have got bare feet. Their unspeakable wives are skinny as whippets and yet no one actually starves. Uh, just more of that kind of, you know, he's seeing a, cl a class there that are eating sardines. Um, uh, more examples. Oh, Modigliani, uh, the death of Modigliani. Whenever you read about the death of uh, Amadeo Modigliani, 
<coughs> dying of spinal meningitis. They always say when he was finally found after being nursed by his young pregnant wife for four days who had tried to get help but nobody came, they finally came. They always mention the fact that he was lying on a, sh on a sheet stained with sardine oil because that's the only thing he had to eat and uh, the only thing they had to drink was booze because they didn't have any fresh water. So uh, that's, a, that's a boho life, you know, it's like low end, <laughs> living in, in Montmartre, uh, sardines and booze. Um, uh, Madonna, apparently, her favorite food when she was struggling in New York over dancing and... Um, <laughs> uh, she said her favorite foods were sardines. Um, if, if you asked her now, she, she might say, uh, I'll eat sardines if it's King Oscar brand. Uh, that's the high-end sardine from Norway, and it's been uh, labeled kosher by the rabbinical authority. So um, Madonna might still go for that. <coughs> um, Ludovico Hurwitz E. Zender was a Peruvian man of Scandinavian descent who, <coughs> during World War I, found himself in England, actually in Scotland, uh, as a uh, shipper ordering sardines shipped to Peru. Um, problem was, he was sending all these telegrams to Oslo saying, you know, I'm ordering more sardines, send them to Scotland, I'm sending them to Peru. But um, he was doing all this uh, outside of uh, sardine season. And so he was arrested as a spy, which he was. And then he was the last man <laughs> shot. He was actually sending shipping information to the Germans via Oslo. Um, uh, so he was the last man executed during World War I. He was shot by a firing squad in uh, the Tower of London on April 11, 1916, um, posing as a, you know, he thought he'd, no one's going to notice me if I'm posing as a sardine salesman. Um, uh, so I think I've given you an idea, of just, you know, when you see sardines pop up anywhere, they're, they're just sort of the low end, the common. Uh, um, so. The, the last section of the talk is, um, well, it's the difficult one. Um, so uh, we've taken the sardine, the biological animal, and the tinning of them and put them together. And the other primary characteristic of that object, the combined fish and tin, is that these fishes are headless when you open them. Um, so I did a little bit of um, looking into headlessness. And uh, there's a long history of this, um, very long history of it in, uh, in the Eastern religions, um, the Sikh religion and in Buddhism, things like that, uh, that, that then traveled, especially during the 60s, some, some kind of lightweight mysticism, um, probably very via Gurdjieff, and then, and then it just exploded. So uh, there's a man who has a website actually now called Headlessness, and uh, I did some of his experiments that are supposed to lead to enlightenment. And one of them was to uh, point at an object and describe it to yourself. We can all do this now. You can point to an object. I'm pointing to the flowers there, and I can describe the flowers. And, and then step two of the experiment uh, was to point at your own head and describe what you see. <laughs> and, and so the fact that I can't see my own head is, uh, uh, he, he then would applaud me and say, well, you've lost a head and gained a world, um, which is really kind of sweet. And <coughs> um, uh, so um, that's sort of the, uh, war, the uh, you know, uh, spiritual healing workshop end of things. But uh, from uh, um, John Keats' idea of negative capability was kind of a, a suppression of, of the head. Um, uh, Arthur Rambeau, uh, I think, went off looking for headlessness and ended up legless. Um, Mallarmé has some famous lines about the headlessness of statues. Um, 
most recently here in Canada, Marcel Zama has a, you've probably all seen illustrations by Marcel Zama, he has a thing about headlessness. A lot of headless women, a lot of um, figures wearing uh, masks, like animal masks, uh, in effect, uh, taking off their human head. Um, but probably the biggest example of this would be Georges Bataille, the French philosopher who um, was the, uh, he called himself the black god of this headless community. He had started a cult called Acephale, um, probably not ex uh, pronouncing that properly, Acephal, um, which just means headlessness. And they, this cult uh, put out invitations to anyone who, um, anyone willing to be uh, sacrificed as a human sacrifice. Um, he was a bit of a nut bar and a sadomasochist, and uh, he was really, and there's no proof whether or not they actually sacrificed a human or, or didn't. Um, they might have, but he was um, very interested in cutting off someone's head and torturing them and whatnot. Um, so, uh, and, and yeah. Um, so what can I say about this? I'm not sure. Uh, headlessness, um, it, you know, it's all pointing to self-consciousness. It's all kind of a, a ridicule of self-consciousness, kind of, a kind of an attack on self-consciousness. And I'm not so sure that's a good thing. I, um, I know self-consciousness, it's what makes me uh, shake when I'm up here. But it's, I think it's a bit of a moral check on what we do. Um, and whenever I open a tin of sardines, uh, I'm reminded of that. <laughs> You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next, the Q&A. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Are, are there because I know when you order Portuguese barbecue, barbecue grilled, grilled sardines at like a tapas bar, uh, you'll get a, something about this long with its head still on. Um, and actually, I did write down some dimensions as to what constitutes a, um, yeah, a, a, an, at 15 to 18 years old, uh, 
I think this is an uh, yeah an adult an adult herring at 15 to 18 years old is one and a half pounds and 15 inches long. So that's what I don't know, like that wow. something like that. That's is that right? Who can everyone everyone hold up their hands? How big they think that is? And then everyone pull up that pulls something out of your pocket that you think weighs that much. Um, but but a juvenile sardine is uh, one. Uh, one and one half to three inches long. So, so yeah, they do sell the, I mean, you, you, you can order something called a grilled sardine that's, that's much bigger than that. Maybe that's like a, you know, young adult uh, herring. I really don't know. But, 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 the, um, but the sardines, it is a name that covers herring, sprats, brizzling, pilchard, and maybe more. I don't, I don't know. But, but, it, but it's a term, a term that covers younger herring. And does it only does it only cover them in like a an eating context, or does it cover them in a like in a life context? Are they sardines when they're swimming in the ocean? Or are they only sardines yeah. when we? Yeah, I think in, in the ocean. Okay. The, uh, when when you're watching the Shark Channel and the shark are diving into a big meatball, they, they don't they never specify whether it's pilchard or brizzling or sprat. Okay. They're just eating sardines. They're eating sardines yeah, just yeah. like just like us. Okay. Um, uh, uh, um, um, yes, you you ma'am, yes. Um, you humanize sardines a bit, and I'm wondering if you've ever had or considered having or know of anyone who's actually had them as pets. <laughs> the question is, is whether anyone who keeps a sardine is, as a pet. No. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, you, sir. Sorry, Excellent question. No, yeah, so go I, I'm still confused by the big ball of methane. Thing. Do you mind like, going into a little more detail about how the methane gas doesn't rise up? Oh yeah, I so guess I guess that like wh why it becomes a huge bubble and why it doesn't yeah. is this what you're asking? Why it doesn't ascend to the surface in small bubbles? Um, I'm not sure about that. Um, I, I don't know whether that's physics or biology, but I imagine like the the the, uh, the rotting phytoplankton on the bottom of the ocean would create the same amount of methane gas. So whether or not it's rising to the surface in tiny bubbles. Or a massive bubble bomb um, doesn't matter. It would still kill the same amount of um, living things in the, you know in that in that surrounding area. Uh, but why it's one massive methane bubble? I don't know. But but we have reason to believe that it is right. Like it's oh yeah. So is. This is a reason. Uh, you know that they're, they're very worried about this. They're very concerned about these methane. And it was always described. You know I read about it three or four different places. And it's like a slow process. The methane builds on the on the bottom. Maybe that's what it is. It's it gets. It's like a critical mass point where the methane gets to a point where it um, it's all about pressure, water pressure, and and whatnot, where it needs to leave the ocean floor and rise because it becomes lighter than. I there's know. no there's no there's no oceanographer or bubbleologist in the house. Who can, is there? Can you, do you actually? So the way the large bubbles rise smaller than the small bubbles, leaving the small bubbles behind? Large bubbles rise more quickly. Right, just more quickly, quickly, sorry. Maybe the bubbles are under all the crap, all the dying stuff. And then they find so you think all the, all the gas gathers under the dying stuff and only when it reaches a, a certain mass is it able to break free? Yeah, when it's, when it's a big enough bubble, it lifts up out of the mud and the, and the dead refuse. Right. It's a reasonable well, conjecture. Knows? I mean, we could uh, think about this, become self-conscious the next time you have to have a fart, because some, sometimes they come out at a slower rate, and sometimes they're explosive and huge. So 
It's all so a matter same, of the release of gas. I don't know why. So the same principles might apply. Yeah, the same okay, principles that's might apply. That's in, in the ocean as in... Yes, uh, I'm going to... Yeah, Lauren Bride, sure. Yes, what's your question, Lauren Bride? Well, I'm just wondering what happens to the heads. Yeah, what does happen to the heads? What do they do with them? Uh, your pets, cat food, dog food, whatnot. Um, so there you go. Uh, I'll go to you. Yes, you, sir. You addressed the question of how when you open a tin and the headlessness affects your sort of think of your own self-consciousness, but you haven't even touched the issue that they're crowded in there. Does that yeah. affect you in any way, that crowded? And the fact that we use that as a metaphor for being crowded. Yeah, I thought that was too cliché. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I thought... No, nothing, no, like nothing personal, but I thought as soon as I say sardines, everyone in the audience is going to think he's going to go on about public transit or, you know, something like that, or having lived in Taiwan or something, but yeah, I just, so I left that alone. But there's, there's, there's a whole, you know, dissertation to be done there about that cliche about why do we always just refer to the sardines? Um, lots of things get packaged close together, you know. <laughs> but no one, no one ever says, like, we were packed in there like olives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't hear that. Packed in there like peanut butter. There's not even a, there's not even airspace in there. So there, does that does that answer your question? Does it make does it does it make you feel a, a little worse though? Well, look, our work is done. I'm gonna go to you there. You said that uh, that the phytoplankton was sinking to the bottom and decomposing because it wasn't being processed. Is that because of overfishing the drug? Yeah, it's, it has to do with the cycles of uh, overfishing. Like right now, the um, uh, we're the we're the biggest producer of sardines in the world right now, New Brunswick, uh, Brunswick sardines, and owned by Connors. But uh, but I guess whatever's happening, um, um, Africa, Morocco, uh, further south, um, the population of sardines have gone down, probably from fishing and maybe cycles of just population cycles. They've gone down to the point where the phytoplankton, and because sardines are the only thing that eat and biologically process this phytoplankton and just becomes a part of the uh, ecosystem. Um, so not very many sardines, much phytoplankton. Phytoplankton is dying and decomposing on the ocean floor. So, they, so yes, because of, because of the eating all the sardines. Causality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it comes up again. Um, yeah, do you have your hand up? Is that a question that you have? Let's, let's hear your question then, please. You know, I wanted to go into this when I was talking about self-consciousness, and uh, um, um, what was I thinking of? Uh, because, you know, you ask yourself, uh, why would they, because they, they do, they, 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 it's almost like they're self, they're offering themselves up, because the sardine, they, they swim in a smaller and smaller ball um, that becomes like the, the host on the TV program said, um, a virtual meatball. <laughs> and, and, uh, and the sharks just, just devour them. You'd think, you know, why not, let's just take a break, take off for a couple hours, uh, and we'll all meet up back here, you know? Um, so, yeah. It does, I was thinking about it when you were talking to them, too, about how they were so skinny, and it's like, oh, this creature has evolved to make itself, like, convenient to eat and delicious. <laughs> and it seems like a really bad evolutionary trait. Yeah. yeah. But there are massive, massive numbers. That's the thing. They're, they're not really, as a, as a fish, they're not uh, endangered worldwide right now. The, uh, the levels here in North America, on the West Coast and East Coast, they're um, not just back to average. They're high above average. There's like an excess of sardines. And that's probably due to low cod and tuna and whatnot rates that eat them. But, but there are massive numbers of sardines right now. 
but so 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 but the answer question is we we don't know. Yeah. Why they why do they make themselves into a giant meatball? Yeah, you'd have to ask them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we'll have them here next month. Um, yes, you sir. Uh, you mentioned uh, a type of uh, sardines that's very high end, a Scandinavian yeah. brand. Yeah. How do Canadian sardines compare to that high end brand? Um, I haven't tried the King Oscars because I haven't seen them yet. I, I've tried Millionaires and, um, of course, the, all the different flavors of Brunswick sardines and, and then uh, imports from Mediterranean countries that you see in shops where you have to get out the can opener and open, open them as opposed to the um, uh, pull tab. But these King Oscars are apparently the, the very, very high end and they're, they're summer brizzling, they're Norwegian summer brizzling um, and they're apparently the king of sardines. Um, and Why are they so the much better? The most delicious creature in fact, when they were, when they, I know, I do know when they were first marketed in Europe, the French um, launched lawsuits against Norway to uh, retain the name sardine for what they were canning um, because they were threatened by this by the Norwegian summer brizzling. Because um, like it was so so much better. So good. It was yeah, like it must be will, succulents. This will put our sardine out of business. Yes, we have right. to get them to call it yeah. something yeah. else. Yeah, and they lost. Uh, King Oscar Company. Um, yeah, they're so you've never tasted one, but it's good enough to scare the French. It's good enough to go and look for. Yeah, good enough to scare the French. Good enough to go and look for um, King and Oscar. Yeah. There you go. That, did you when you were talking about these ones you ate? Did you eat any of them like in the context of actually researching this lecture, or is it just like a normal life experience? Oh, I ate them. Oh, you mean any of the new, newer types, or just, just in general when you were like rattling off the the different types of sardines that you eat? Like, did you in preparing for this lecture, did you actually sit down and eat different sardines or anything? Did that come up, or is no, this just I, in your own? In your I own stayed life? on my daily diet of Brunswick. Um, uh, chili and uh, I eat the, the ones in uh, chili water, like water with, with spicy chilies in them and um, lemon and, <laughs> and, sparkling, and sparkling water. So I, I just sort of eat those, you know, every other day. Um, I love them. So um, you eat them a lot? Yeah, yeah. So this isn't just some like no. crazy little thing that you came up with. This was like, yeah. okay, all right. Um, uh, I'm going to go to you. Yes, you may. Um, uh, this is yeah. This is a whole other lecture. I, I grew up eating them. Um, be, uh, uh, I have a father, um, and, uh, and he likes sardines, and I don't. I don't like him, but I I do like sardines. And I haven't talked to him in years and years and years, but I do still love sardines. And so this was a. Uh, and so I, knowing nothing about them, the only thing that comes into my head is him when I eat them. Uh, up until now. Sorry? The question is, is it like you are devouring your own father? I just wanted to repeat that question, because it's such a good question. Uh, I don't think so. I had kind of, uh, I kind of, um, I thought to myself, you know, there are, uh, there are a whole bunch of qualities that he had that I could have and don't have. So if this is the one that I've inherited, I'm fine with that. But the question, uh, I like taste for sardines. But to come back to the second part of your question, the question like would be, does he have qualities that the sardine has? Like, are there ways that... <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and very accidentally. I don't know why, but he's very accidentally uh, headless. Um, uh, so this, but this was a way of doing this little lecture. It actually, I didn't know when I started out, but it ended up being a way of kind of divesting myself of, of personal relationship with the tin of sardines and situating it out there in the world. You know, knowing something about the sardines, I'm now. Uh, Thinking way more about that than I ever was about, um, yeah. 
that. <laughs> and yeah, we're, we're here to undo all that useful work. Um, um, I'm gonna go to uh, um, you. Hi, yeah, I think you had your hand over there. Yes, you, sir. Yeah, I have another question. Hey. They're softened in the heating process. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, when, when sardines are canned and preserved, they're heated to uh, 116 degrees Celsius up to 129 degrees Celsius. So uh, probably accounts for the size of sardine that can be tinned are anything that has bones that will soften to the point of edibleness, you know, because you know the spines in there. You can eat; it's a mild sort of a crunch when you eat it. But the, none of the spines, uh, you, you don't feel any of the, or sorry, spines, rib um, cage. They, they just sort of soften to the point where you don't notice them. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think the spine. Yeah, the spine is in there. You can see it. What do you just throw it out? Once I feel it on my teeth, or I see it, I'm grossed out, so I bother. <laughs> what about you? What's your what do you, when you have this spine? You're like, mm, this is the best <laughs> part, or do you like? Calcium. It's All right. Yes, you sir. Yes. Just what can you tell us about the nutritive value of a sardine? Like, with the, I know the spine might calcium. Yeah, they're they're incredibly healthy for you. Um, omega three. <laughs> yeah, omega three fatty oils. Right. Omega I'm not a diet. I'm not a dietitian, but um, omega three fatty oils is. A, yeah. Well, all fatty fish. Um, and and they're very very good for you and uh, high uh, protein and um, there's actually vitamin C or something very strange in them. Uh, in uh, them and other fatty fish like uh, seal and that's why they, like Inuit population don't need. Um, don't eat tangerines, you know, because there's vitamin C in fatty fish. Uh, they're incredibly good for you. Very, very so good. So they're all you need. You would never eat anything else. Yeah, you can live on like sardines and beans okay. and squash. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> there we go. Um, it, uh, oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Well, it's sort of not sardine related, but I wondered if the guy, the inventor of the tin, the original one, ever gathered his reward 14 years later. Yeah, Napoleon personally gave him his 12,000 francs. 12,000 francs for his 14 years' work. Was there interest at all? <laughs> I don't know. Wait, was there interest? Oh, interest paid well, on 14 the. 14 years later. Don't, don't, no, I don't know. Well, let's wrap it up there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ken Bastock. Trampling Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century and is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was chosen by Alex Pugsley. The podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Matt Smith. Our coordinating producer is Kate Bars. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can really help us out by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. It helps a lot. I'm Misha Globerman. Thanks for listening. Imagine 
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.